Good morning. Oh, that was terrible. Good morning. That was a little bit better. So I have to just be completely transparent with you. Uh, I don't want to overstate the fact, but I am fairly certain that I have just experienced the busiest weekend of my entire life. And so I stand up here before you literally uh, feeling like I got hit by a truck. So if at any point I fall over and die or you don't understand what I'm saying, we'll just come back to this moment and we'll blame it on that. Uh, But I am really excited. I got to hang out with you guys last week, and uh, this is week two and our final week of Rewrite, our our series on parenting. And um, this this week, I know, um, applies to everybody in the room, Uh, especially to parents, but I I know this does because um, I've talked with this in a different sense with teens and students, and and they uh, completely track with where I'm going and, and, and what I'm talking about. And so I know that this reaches parents and everyone. So if you're sitting here thinking, hey, it's a parenting series, I really don't uh, care. Trust me, this week uh, involves you. And so um, last week we talked about fighting for the heart and why that's so important and uh, why that if no matter what the rules we have, the rules we put in place for our family, that we have to be consumed with fighting for our child's heart and being consumed with relationship becoming, coming before the rules. And today I want to talk about the difference. I want to kind of make a comparison between our picture, our perfect picture of what our family should be, and the story that God's trying to write through our family. And so I think that a lot of times we all have a picture of what our family should be, right, or what our life should be. I think we all do. Um, It comes from a lot of different places. For some of us, it comes from media. It comes from TV, you know, the Brady Bunch, Cosby show. I mean, that stuff really kind of changed the way we looked at family. And then we had the full house come up, and and that really changed the way we looked at family because that was odd. And there's just all this other stuff that kind of puts our perception of what family should be. For some of you, it's what you grew up in. You grew up in a great home and a great place, and, and that's what shapes your perception of what your family should be because you want to fight for what you had then. For some of you, if you're like me, it's the opposite, and it's that you, you didn't grow up in that. What you grew up in, you don't ever want to see again. And so anytime something comes up that reminds you of how you grew up, you fight against that and you push away from that, right? But there's a lot of different things that shape our perception and our picture of what family what our family should be, what our life should be. And we're told what it should look like and how it should be in a lot of different ways. And sometimes over time we get this perception, we get this image of this is what my family should look like, this is what my life should look like, this is the picture that I have for my family. And then we we start to become so consumed with that, we start to become so consumed with the picture that we want, the picture that we have in our minds of what our family should be, of what our life should be, that we completely separate ourselves and forget about the story that God's inviting us into. We get so consumed with what we think it should be that we start to become completely uh, separated from what the, God's story and that he's inviting us to be a part of that and to do huge things in his kingdom. As a family. And what I want to share with the parents in this room is that you, whether intentionally or unintentionally, are shaping the way your children view God. You're shaping the way they view their spiritual life. You're shaping the way they view how they'll walk with Christ and how they'll be in relationship with Him. You are shaping the way your children will interact with God when they grow up. Whether you want to or not, that is the truth, that you are shaping, shaping the way they'll view God. 
And if we stay so focused on our picture and we forget about the story, they'll grow up and they'll be consumed with a picture. And there's always a story behind every picture, right? I've got a picture I want to show you guys of my family. It's going to be on the screen, I think. There it is. Isn't that a good picture of my family? I love that picture. I never get tired of looking at it. It's the first thing I see when I open up my computer because it just, it just reminds me of what a bunch of goofballs we are, right? And it's a great, I love that picture because we're all smiling and we're all laughing and we're all happy. And the only thing I don't like about this picture, honestly, is that we're short a kid. We actually have four now. Uh, Jennifer was just pregnant at that point. So um, I love this picture, but let me, let me break down for you what's going on. Now, what you see and what I see is a great picture, a beautiful picture of a family. Well, maybe you don't think it's beautiful because I'm in it, but you do can at least acknowledge that it's a good picture and we all look happy, right? Yeah? Everybody with me? Good. Um, now, you see Mason is my son. He's the one sitting in my lap. Do you see my hand? You see where it's at? You see how it looks like? Uh, it, it's because he was being a complete jerk. And he was tired and he was hot, and so I was tickling him. And, and the guy kept taking the pictures, and I kept tickling him. And he was fighting, and he fought so hard that by the time he let go, he let out one of Mason's famous belly laughs, which, is, if you've ever heard, is impossible to not laugh at. Now, do you see, I don't usually smile with my mouth open like that. The reason that I am is because I'm laughing. And it's because my oldest daughter, the one with her arms around me, has just whispered in my ear, what did we do to deserve this? And, and... <laughs> And, and Marissa, the, the one that's hugging Jennifer's neck, the, we took it, we, Marissa, um, Marissa is interesting in of the fact that she has a great imagination and, and I love it. I love to watch her. I can, I don't even have to talk to her. I just like to watch her interact with everything. And, and so she sometimes gets completely distracted on where she is, um, because she has another life that we don't really know about that she goes to sometimes and. And so, and she was there at that moment, and we're trying to get her to come back, Rissa, come back to reality. Hey, hey, Rissa. And so, so she's laughing because she just realized that she was gone for a moment and she came back. And, and she realized that she was, you know, to her that was funny. She's like, oh, I'm so silly, you know. And so there's why she's, uh, so we're trying to get Mason to quit being a jerk, and we're trying to get Marissa to remember we're taking pictures and we're not in a princess land. And, and so, and then Michaela whispers to me, because she is just like her father, that what did we do to deserve this? Because she's sarcastic, which causes me to laugh. And Jennifer has that smile on her face because she's a photographer, and she can actually spank the kids, eat a sandwich, and fix a car, and have that smile on her face because she understands that you don't want to miss the moment. So that's the story behind that picture. Now, you don't look at that picture and think, hey, there's more to that than what meets the eye, right? It's just a picture. The photographer got lucky. We were in a good place, good spot. But there's more to that picture than meets the eye. And I remember when he sent, when, when the guy, uh, the guy that does the, our pictures, is, he's so good. And I remember when he sent them and we were looking through them and they weren't some of our favorites because we weren't really, we were tired that day. It was hot outside. I don't do hot. I don't do summer. I don't think it's from the Lord. I think it is straight from hell and it's not of this, uh, not of, it's not holy. I think it'll be nice and cold in heaven. And so that, so we're, we're all kind of in a mood. We're all kind of sweating. And, and there was some of the pictures were good, but we're just not our favorites. And then we got to these family pictures and we were just, I was just enthralled. I was like, 
This is the first family picture we've ever had that just screams Miller to me. This just screams we're a bunch of idiots, and we laugh, and we do silly stuff, and we hit our kids, and we tickle them until they laugh, and we do whatever we can. We, that just screams us when I look at that. I just That's our family. I was so happy with it. But then I started thinking about how did he get that picture? I remember sitting in that spot and thinking, I'm about to DDT some children. If we don't get this done, I'm sweating. I'm overweight and overweight people don't want to sweat. And so I'm trying to, I'm, I'm getting angry. I'm getting mad. And I'm thinking to myself, I remember being so mad. Like, and I couldn't remember how I got the picture. And then I remembered, I remembered this moment. I remembered Michaela saying that in my ear. I remembered thinking, if Mason doesn't laugh soon, I'm going to throw him as far as I can. And I remember thinking, Marissa, back to reality. And I remember Jen doing everything in the picture that she could and never removing the smile off her face because she didn't want him to miss the moment. And so I remember the moment, and there's just there's a story behind that picture. And every picture that we have of what our family should be, every picture we have of what we want our family to be, every picture we have in our minds of what we want our lives to be has a story. But sometimes we become so consumed with the picture that we remove ourselves from the story that comes with it. And I think that it's so important for us to understand and for us to begin to start processing what our life should look like, not through what we want it to look like, not through the picture that we have, but through what God wants to do through our lives and how God wants to restore and redeem through our lives. Because let me understand something. Let me help you understand something. We are broken. When sin entered the world in Genesis, the world becomes broken. And so God, at that moment, everything he does is about bringing restoration and redemption back into our lives. Everything that happens is about God bringing that restoration and, and redemption back to our lives. That's the story of Jesus. When he comes and he dies, that's what it's about. He's trying to bring restoration and redemption back to our lives. And so we have to start processing the way we view family, the way we view our lives, the way we view our futures, the way we view ourselves through the fact that God wants to write a story for his glory through your life. He wants to write a story that glorifies him and gives him all the honor that he deserves through your life and through the life of your family. And every picture that you have has a story. And you don't want to separate yourself from that. But you need to embrace it. Let me show you a picture of a family that we don't know. This is a stock photo. So we'll call this the stock family. And um, I think, or maybe, I don't know, I got it off the internet. Watch them walk in and I'm going to get punched. Um, let's, uh, now that, that looks like a happy family, right? They're on each other's backs and it's just, it's a fun time. Everybody's happy. It's, they're in the woods and, and it's just, it's, everyone's so happy. It's a beautiful family, right? Let me tell you a little bit more about what this could be. Okay, the, let's just, let's, I mean, we're going to do some names, okay? Dad's name is going to be, uh, going to be uh, Kevin. And, um. Uh, Mom's name is going to be um, Joanna. And little girl's name, blonde, on dad's bag is going to be Lucy. And then just because I'm a goofball, we'll call the son Bubba. Um, even though he doesn't look like a Bubba. <laughs> and let, let's just, now they look like a happy, everyday family. They look like the family that when you pick up the picture frame, this is what, at, at the store, before you ever put a picture in, it looks like them, right? Now, let's go a little bit deeper. Kevin is actually a pharmacist. And he's been battling a prescription drug addiction for a couple years. Mom, mom, is she looks happy and she loves being a mom. 
But really, she hates her. She hates her life. She feels like she gave all her dreams up. She's constantly depressed. She feels like she had to give up all her dreams to become a mom, and so dad could have a career. And so she's depressed, and she she doesn't like her life, and she's starting to resent her kids. And she really just wanted these pictures so they could have something to hang on the wall, so everybody would think they're the perfect happy family, right? Lucy is a straight A student. But she's a straight-A student because she's a perfectionist because all she wants is her mom and dad to love her, and all she wants is mom and dad's attention. And so everything she does is driven out of that, so she gets perfect grades in the hopes that she'll feel like her mom and dad love her when she brings home her, her report card. Bubba has uh, uh, ADHD, so he sets things on fire for no apparent reason. He's crazy. He's a lot of fun. Everybody loves him, but he's, a, he's energy all the time. He struggles to keep up in school. School's really hard for him. His teachers go crazy because his, his hyperactivity is just out of control. There's a lot of brokenness in that family. Now, we look at the picture and we can't tell that. And they would probably never tell us that. And the thing, the, the baseline that I want to start at today, the thing I want you to know before we ever go any further, is that God wants to take that story Not the picture. He doesn't care about your picture. But he wants to take that story. And he wants to bring redemption to that family. And he wants to heal the wounds that that family has experienced. And he wants to make it right and whole again. And he wants to use what's happened in their past to help them know that when he starts restoring them and redeeming them and healing them and bringing them back together as a family... He wants them to share that story so that people see not, hey, look what we did, but I serve a God that is really big, and he is a God of restoration and hope, and he can heal even the deepest wounds. And so before we go any further, I want you to understand that the assumption today is that you understand that God wants to use your past, your future, your present to glorify him. And if you'll get yourself out of the way and be determined to fight for a story God's story, then you will absolutely experience these things. You'll experience restoration and hope. You'll experience the fact that he wants to use you for his glory, and he'll bring your whole story together to show his beautiful plan of redemption and restoration. So we've got to start out there before we go any further. So what I want to do today is I want to take a, I want to take a look at two different stories in the Bible. One, I think, was concerned with the picture, and another, I think, was chasing after being a part of a bigger story. And so we're going to look in 2 Samuel in just a second. Um, And now let me set the scene for you on this. Um, This is David, and he has a son named Absalom. And uh, Absalom was was David's boy, okay? Absalom always had everything he needed, okay? He was the son of the king and probably the favored son, right? So he got the best of everything, the best education, the best toys, the best stuff, the best training, I mean, he got the best of everything. He got the first uh, pick of any woman he wanted in the, in the land. I mean, he got the best of everything. David always made sure he had more than he needed. Right? Then something happens. And I want everybody to lock in here, okay? Because I'm reading this story. I'm preparing for this. And I can think about this moment that some of you have been through because I know your story. And and David's about to experience an earth-shattering, life-changing moment where his picture gets shattered. And I know that there are people in this room that have experienced that moment. 
You have experienced the moment where everything stopped, where your world changed forever, whether you wanted to acknowledge it or not, where something happened in your family where it would never, ever be able to be the same. At least that's what you thought. You, I know there are people, and there's some of you I don't know that have experienced this. We've probably all experienced this to one degree or another, that moment that changes everything in our lives. The moment where everything we know, it'll never, ever be the same. David and Absalom are about to experience this moment. And so what happens is that they've got another, Absalom has another brother named Amnon, and he rapes his sister. Falls in love with her, tries to make a move. She says, you're dumb. He rapes her. Now, at that moment, everything changes. That's an earth-shattering, ground-moving, life-changing moment when your son rapes your daughter. Right? I mean, can we agree on that, obviously? Everything changes. That is, that is an event of catastrophic proportion. And, and David does what I think a lot of us do in that moment. He tries to conserve his picture. Because he's not worried about the story at that moment. He's worried about the picture that everybody else sees of him. Does that make sense? So he's not worried about the story behind it. He's not wor- he, wants everybody to be co- he wants everybody to know him as the picture they've seen, as the king that's in control, as the king that has good children and a great family. And so at that moment, when his picture falls and it shatters into a thousand pieces, he has, a, he has to make a choice, and he chooses what I think in the, in, the, in the Scriptures tells us that he chooses to try to fix the picture himself, to try to hold the picture back up and say, look, look, it's okay, we're fine. And so he tries to make this as hush-hush as possible. And so he has a, he, there's, a there's a couple of verses I want to I read. Um, it's uh, 2 Samuel 13. If you want to go there, if not, it'll be on the screen. 13, 21, and 22. When David heard what was happened, excuse me, what had happened, he was very angry. So he just find, found out. Now, 22. And though Absalom had never spoken to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he did to his sister. Now, we're going to dig in a little bit to this, and I'm going to make some assumptions about this passage. So I just want that to be known. Everything I'm going to say, I didn't actually derive from a scripture. I just, I read it and I use my context clues, okay? Um, I read that and there's something missing, number one. Okay, there's something missing. Let's bring verse 22 back up if we can. Um, then King David heard what happened. Okay, verse 22. And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about, Amnon about this, he hated him deeply because of what he had done. There's something missing from this passage. And that is a conversation between David and Absalom. Am, Amnon has done this, and he, he, he knows it's going to be bad for him, and David takes him aside and rebukes him and talks to him privately. He corrects him, he yells at him, he screams at him. Whatever you do to your child in that situation, I don't even know. I don't know, I can't imagine the terror that you feel at that moment, the emotional terror you feel, because you love your son, but you love your daughter, and somebody's going to get hit. I just don't know what's going to happen. There's, there's a, I don't know emotionally how to tell you what's going on there. I just know there's a conversation. There's a rebuke. It's in private. It's done the way it should. But then David never goes the extra step, and he never has a conversation with Absalom. Now, that tells me that David is more concerned about his picture of what his family should look like than he is concerned with the story 
that God will, will, can write and the redemption that God can bring through this. David wants to fix it himself. He wants to put the picture back together and put it back up on the wall and have nobody know any different and have nobody know that this ever happened to his family, that his son raped his daughter. He just doesn't want it known. And so he doesn't go the extra step and have a conversation with Absalom. He becomes concerned with the picture, and it costs him dearly. Because Absalom never recovers from those moments. He never recovers. He starts to hate his father. So then he tricks his father, he takes Amnon on a trip, and he kills him in front of all his brothers. Then he runs and he retreats. David brings him back, and then he tries to kill him, kill David. His son tries to kill him, and then they go to battle together against each other, and it costs Absalom his life. And David is up in a room, and, and we don't have time to look at it today because i got to move sort of briskly, but he goes up, and he's in a room, and he finds out, and he just starts weeping and crying out to God, what have I done, what have I done, what have I done? Because he, he knew, he knew that he became concerned with his picture. And he didn't trust God with the story. And Absalom went a different path. Because even though there's no mention of this in Scripture, but it, it's all over, the Scripture is all over our lives. If what we, who we say we are doesn't line up with who we really are, our children will generally grow some resentment. If who you say you are, if you don't, if you say you're a Jesus follower, if you say you've got a relationship with Jesus and your actions don't reflect that, you will generally, your children will generally harbor some resentment towards you. Not like anger, not like I hate you, mom and dad, but like you said you encountered the greatest love that we've ever known, but there's no evidence in your life to suggest that. So I'm going to go a different direction. David's supposed to be a man after God's own heart. And then this happens and he becomes concerned with his picture. And Absalom doesn't know how to deal with it, and he goes a different direction in life. David didn't deal with the story of letting God have the story and, and re- bringing redemption and restoration and hope. He just worried about his picture, and it cost him. It cost him dearly. I want to just, right now, if you've had that moment that David had, If you've had that moment where everything in your life changed, it was an earth-shattering, groundbreaking, crying, crying out to God, cursing God, crying out to anybody that would listen. If you've had that moment where you just didn't understand, you could probably, please hear what I'm saying. I'm about to show you the best example of this I know. That God wants you to just get out of the way and let him have your story, not your picture. Not your perception of what you want people to know, but letting people know what your story is so that he can show his light through your life. That's what, that's what the gospel, that's what the whole story of the Bible is about, is redemption and grace and love. And so you've got a story and you've had this moment and you became concerned with your picture and it's going to cost you in the long run. We've got to start focusing on our story because it's not about a perfect picture It's about a bigger story. It's not about a perfect picture for us and what people think of us. It's about a bigger story so that God can be made big. It's not about what we want people to know about us. It's about what God can do through us. And so it's not about a perfect picture. It's about a bigger story. And you've got to reconcile that now. 
Because some of you have either had the moment or you're going to have the moment and you're going to have a choice to make. And I'm begging you, I'm begging you, choose the story. Choose God's story. We're going to check out Genesis 22, verse 6 through 12. I don't normally do more than one scripture at a time, but I made an exception today. I know it's kind of confusing. Now we're going to go backwards, and we're going to look at Abraham. Now, Abraham is the father of many generations, right? We all know that. He was, he was very close internet with God, okay? When people describe, when God describes who he is, he will say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, he, kinda, he's kind of a big deal, um, just to fill that gap for you, okay? Um, when God uses you to describe who, who he's the God of, it, you know, I would be really fine if he was like, I'm the God of Ryan. That's kind of cool. So, kind of a big deal, okay? He, he's, he's kind of one of the, he's the forefathers. Many generations came from him, okay? So, he, but he wasn't a perfect dude, okay? I mean, he, he was a man who chased after God and understood the importance of the story. But, dude, he made a lot of mistakes, there's one point he gives his wife away because he's afraid he's going to be killed. Gives her to a king. Has her live with him for months. Okay, he's not, I mean, he's not perfect. There's more in that, but he's just not a perfect guy. But there's this moment where God promises him a son at his old age. Old age. He's like 90-something when he has his son. And so this was the son he had always wanted. He had... God had promised him this long ago. He had been looking forward to it. He has his son. Uh, his, he names him Isaac. And then God does something very unusual. And he says, I want you to sacrifice your son. Because back then the tradition was you sacrificed animals when because was, Jesus wasn't here yet. So what filled the gap was the sacrificing of animals and pouring blood over what had happened, okay? I don't have a lot of time to get into all of it. We'll leave that for Chris because he's a lot smarter than I am. But just understand that they had to kill animals to make themselves right, okay? So he's saying, I want you to take it. I want you to sacrifice your son. Now, as a parent, think with me for just a second about if, if God said that to you, right? I mean, no. I mean, there's just things you can have, and that's not one of them. I mean, let's just be honest about it. And if you're going to take that, I'm not going to do it unless we're psychotic, right? If somebody came to you and said, yo, I was praying, I was having some quiet time with the Lord, and he told me to kill my son, so I'm going to go do that. I'll be back in a few days. That would probably, we would probably call somebody. There would be a 911 call in our future, right? We would think they were psychopaths. Okay, that's not a normal train of thought. I sinned today. I'm going to kill my son. It's just, it's not... There's a bridge there that we leave and we don't cross, okay? And so there's a part of this that's just really weird. I don't need, I don't, I don't, the story is weird to me. God tells you, I want, to, I want you to sacrifice your son. That's where we're going to pick up. We're going to be in verse 6 and we're going to go through 12, okay? And I'll stop along the way. Hold on. Sorry. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of him walked together. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? This is the moment where Isaac goes, what's going on? I got the wood. You got the fire and the knife. We don't have an animal. 
And that's not normal because you don't find sheep in the woods. And so he's having a moment where he's like, what's going on? So I'm sure he wasn't thinking because, again, it's not a natural progression of thought. Well, my dad's going to kill me. I'm sure that wasn't what he went through in his mind because he knows his dad. He knows his dad. Even though his dad's not perfect, his dad has a story, and he wants God to be glorified through that story. He stays focused on that. Now, there's a part of this where I gets, and, and some of you deep theologians may disagree with me, but from what I can read, what I can tell, what I can pick up, Abraham was, I mean, excuse me, Isaac was not like a child in this moment. Okay, he was probably at least 20, maybe closer to 30. Okay, so I, I think that's true. I, I, again, I'm not, uh, um, I don't have a doctorate. Okay, but he's carrying firewood, and they don't tell us that, but the journey that he took is about a three-day journey. You're not going to take your six-year-old, load him up on the, on the back with firewood and say, let's take a walk up a really steep hill. So I, I, that and other things, time, timeline geology says he's at least 20, probably like 25, maybe even 30. Okay, so he's an adult. So he knows how to use what I affectionately refer to as his context clues, which is fire, knife, wood, no animal. What's going on? Dad, where are we going? What's happening? Okay, now again, I'm sure he didn't think at this point, my dad's going to stab me. So verse 8, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. And Abraham answered, and they both walked together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar, arranged the wood on it, then tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, Isaac at this point has made the connection. Oh, I see what's happening. I'm about to die. Now, here's what is is so cool about this story, okay? Isaac's not a kid. Isaac's not a child, at least from what I understand. So it's not like he took his three-year-old, his six-year-old, picked him up and laid him on the altar and said, don't move. Abraham's getting sort of old. He was over, he was almost 100 when he had him. Isaac could probably do a couple kung fu moves and this is over. He's out. But his dad tied him up on the altar. So that means Isaac knew what was about to happen, and he decided to participate in the story. You understand that? You see the difference? Isaac knew what was coming. Okay? I mean, it's sort of obvious when they put you on something, they tie you to it, and they put a fire underneath you. You're getting roasted like a pig, and at some point you're probably about to get stabbed because Dad had a knife, and I don't think he brought it up to clean his teeth. He knows what's about to happen, but he decides to participate in the story. He decides to go with it and let his dad be his submission, be who he submits to, who he trusts with his life implicitly. He knows his dad's not perfect. He knows his dad's made mistakes. He knows his dad has a story, but he decides in that moment, he's going to trust him. He's going to go with him. He's going to participate in the story. So let's see what happens. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. So again, Isaac knows dad's coming at me with the knife. Like, you know, it's it's an obvious context clue there. Then at the moment, at that moment, an angel of the Lord called him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied. Here I am. Thank you for calling me. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. for For now I know that you truly fear God. You have withheld You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. So, 
God stops it. No, thank you for being faithful, Isaac. I mean, Abraham, thank you for being faithful and willing to give your only son, the son that's going to inherit everything. Thank you. Don't hurt him. Now, he says something really key in there. You were really, you were about to give your only son. You were willing to give your only son. John 3, 16. For God gave his one and only son. There's a picture that's being painted for us at that moment of what will happen when Jesus comes back and dies. He comes willingly as a sheep going to the slaughter, walking towards it willingly because he loves us. He wants to fight for us. He wants, to be, he wants us to be in relationship with the Father. He knows that the bridge has been broken. And so he comes for us to fight for us. That's, they're painting a picture of what's coming. Now, understand something really clearly here that I really don't believe that if Abraham had not been focused on a bigger story, on allowing God to do what God does through our lives and, and being a part of restoration and redemption and hope, if he had been focused on the bigger picture, on the perfect picture and not the bigger story, this could have gone totally different. But Isaac knew his father. He knew his father's heart. He knew that his dad wasn't perfect, but he was determined to let God shine through his life. And so a 25-year-old man gets up on an altar being willingly sacrificed for his, because he knows that his dad knows best. Because he's watched his dad be a part of a bigger story. And so he trusts him and he knows and he moves with him. And then he doesn't understand that at that moment, he is painting the picture of what will eventually redeem the entire world. He doesn't understand that at that moment, he is about to participate in something that will be a foretelling of what's coming and where God is going to change everything in our lives. He just knows that I want to be a part of dad's story. Because when we invite our children to be a part of a story and we stop trying to make them be a part of a picture, it will change their lives and the way they view everything. Because a bigger story is built on faith and a perfect picture is built on what we can do. Isaac understood that his father loved him. And that his father knew what had what was in best in mind for him. But more than that, He understood that his dad was a man that was chasing after God and wanted God to be glorified and lifted up and lifted above even himself. So he trusted trusted God with his son. And Isaac trusted his father with his life. And until that moment, it almost happens. He's got the knife. He's ready to go. And God intervenes and says, no, there's no way those two could have known that they were participating in a story that was going to foretell, that was going to foretell what God was going to do when he redeemed us and brought us back to him. If that doesn't get you excited, and get out. I'm just kidding, don't leave. That's just, I mean, that blows my mind. It's the evidence that it's not about a perfect picture, but about a bigger story. It's about being part of God's bigger story. I want to bring, my, I want to bring the picture of my family back up. The uh, me guy in the picture um, had an interesting childhood, rough childhood. Um, caused him to really never feel accepted or loved by anyone, and um, reached out for acceptance and approval wherever he could get it. All those things ended up leading to him having sex before marriage and getting married when he was seventeen for the sake of the child. And because I was legitimately in love with the lady sitting next to me. Skewed life caused me to do 
make some different, difficult, poor choices. Got married when I was 17. Can't tell that from that picture. Lady sitting beside me. Didn't have a father growing up. She uh, committed suicide before she was born. She grew up in a house without a real strong male figure. Not a house where the uh, being, being a male was lifted up, where the males were respected and honored, uh, or shown either respect and honor. Kind of disdain for. Caused her to have a different, difficult view of men. Had sex when she was 16, had a baby when she was 17, married when she was 17. Brought a lot of that baggage into the marriage. So did the guy. Brought all their baggage into the marriage. So hard to deal with and figure out. They, all that happened. We didn't know how to deal with it. And we came this close to getting divorced and walking away. But she fought for me in a way that nobody ever has. It changed my whole view of life. Helped me understand for the first time how Jesus really loves me. A little girl hugging my neck is, uh, no matter how many times I do this, I cannot get past this part without crying. Um, she's nine now. She, she uh, was born into a uh, couple that was 17 and had no idea what they were doing, <laughs> even more so than normal. And uh, she had to grow up a lot with her mom and dad. Um, she hasn't always had the best father. And um, she got saved when she was six, and dad got to baptize her, but she's still, um, she's one of the smartest, most beautiful people I know. But she grew up the first few years of her life in a lot of turmoil and confusion. And uh, Couldn't tell that from looking at that picture. Marissa is uh, six, and when she was born, she had some fluid on her ear, um, and it stayed for what we think was nine months to a year. And all that caused was a lot. Of, she was a little delayed catching up and learning in learning span. And so, for the first four years of her life, constantly, consistently, we spent all of our time trying to figure out what was wrong with our baby girl. We didn't think that there was anything deathly wrong. We just it was a fight to figure out what we needed to do to help her because she just wasn't catching up the way that we thought she would, the way that she should. And so we had to fight and fight and fight. And so the first four years of four, four or five years of her life were just full of doctor's appointments and going back and forth and, and us fighting the doctors and me and Jen fighting each other. And, and, and she's one of the most resilient, tough people that I know. And, and she's caught up and she's beautiful and, and she's creative and she has the greatest imagination. But you can't tell about that from her story from that picture. Mason is three. He's, you know, had a relatively easy. He's been a boy in a house with three girls. Uh, four now. But you can't tell anything about him from that picture other than he has a big smile. What me and my wife, the decision we had to make, and don't misunderstand when I say the decision we make, it's not always been perfect, it's not always been right, and we've still made a lot of mistakes, but we had to come to the conclusion, we had to come to the understanding a long time ago that we would be completely consumed with allowing God's story to come through and to shine through our lives. 
we had to be completely consumed with the fact that we were going to chase after God's story and chase after God and be consumed with the things of God. We had to make that decision. We had to make the decision that we were going to do stuff that didn't always make sense to people. We were going to do stuff that was going to have people thinking we were silly and, and, and stupid and not practical. We were going to do stuff that didn't always work out the way that everybody else thought it would be. But we were going to be determined that we were going to step out on faith and fight for a story. Because the best stories, the best stories you've ever read, the best movies you've ever seen were written intentionally. Okay? And so if you want a story for your life and for your family, you have to go for it. You have to write it. You have to be on the front, stepping out, showing your children, not with your mouth, but with what you do, that it's about faith and it's about a bigger story, not about a perfect picture. And I look at my family and when I open it, it's as great a picture as it is to see. When I open my laptop and I see this picture, I love it. It sets my day up for a complete success because that is my family minus one. That's my those are my precious, most precious things in my life. But it's not the reason I want to see it. I keep that pretty much on the front front of my mind. It's that I look at that picture and I'm ever so keenly reminded that God is using my family to show his perfect picture of restoration and redemption that he has for this world. He's using my family to show that there's a lot of junk and there's a lot of baggage and there's a lot of stuff that happened that doesn't matter. But I'll take that. I will take that for you and I'll make it right and I'll redeem it and I'll restore it and I'll let you live in some sort of health and healing until you get to be with me in heaven. I will use your family to show my picture of redemption and love and grace and mercy. And every time I look at that, I want to be reminded that it's not about me. It's not about my picture I have for my family. It's not about the picture I have for myself, but it's about stepping out and going for God's story and being a part of a bigger story and allowing his light to shine, not through just me, but my entire family, letting his light to shine through and his glory to come through what he wants for our lives. And he'll take all that. My favorite, one of my favorite things about God is that he'll take the brokenness and the crap and he'll repair it. He'll put it back together. And then he'll use it in your life to show people who he truly is. So that's what that picture reminds me of. It's a beautiful picture. I have a beautiful family. But God is the God of restoration and hope. And he has done a lot of restoration in our family. But we had to make a choice. Hear me, we had to make a choice. That it wouldn't be about a perfect picture. But it would be about a bigger story. And we're going to go after that story. We're not going to hope it gets written for us. But we are going to step out and we're going to go for it. Because we want our kids to see faith in the way we live, not in what we say. It won't matter how many times I get up here, how many times I stand in front of students. It won't matter how much I talk about faith and love and hope and grace and mercy. If I don't display it in my own life, it'll never teach my kids anything. So when it comes to parenting, when it comes to my thoughts on parenting, you want to know what I'm passionate about, you want to know what I feel about. Fight for their heart be completely consumed with writing a bigger story for God's glory in your life. Don't worry about the picture. Don't worry about the perfect picture. Don't worry about none of that. Just be completely consumed with living a bigger story for God and just trust that he will work out and he will put together the brokenness that was, that was done. He will redeem what was lost. He will reconcile and bring back what was gone. He will allow you to live in healing and fullness and all of your family to chase after God. Trust each other. But hear me, sometimes that's going to cost. Sometimes there's a sacrifice to it. You don't get to have everything you want 
and not expect to have the expectation that God won't call you to do some things that don't make sense. Maybe it can happen, but I don't think so. Not usually. Serving God and chasing after God costs us. Hear me. It costs us. It's not for fun. It's not cutesy. I mean, it's for real, and it costs. But he will restore and redeem and bring hope back into a place where you thought there could be neither. That's the God he is. When Isaac gets on the altar after his dad has told him that he's going to kill him, basically, he understands that he wants to be a part of his dad's story and step out on faith because that's what he's watched his dad do. He, He was practicing a learned behavior. So my prayer for you guys today, forever, is that you will make a choice today, tonight, or over dinner, lunch, whatever. You will make a choice today that you and your spouse are going to fight for your, with your family. You're not going to fight for a perfect picture, but that you're going to fight for a bigger story. Let's pray. God, God, I just thank you that you do things in and through our lives that we won't know the ramifications of for a long time. Abraham and Isaac did not know that the ramifications of the faith they showed that day would paint a, was painting a picture for a story that was coming thousands of years later. Abraham and Isaac didn't know that day that they were painting a picture of how you were going to give your one and only son, how you were going to sacrifice the the most incredible sacrifice so that we could have restoration and hope in our lives. And so, Father, I just ask that there's some families in here that need to step out and be concerned with that bigger story and understand that it may be 10, 20, 30, 40, hundreds, thousands of years before they'll understand what them going after your story did. Because, Father, you are writing a huge story. You're painting a huge picture. And it involves all of us that say we're Christ's followers. And so we just have to understand that what we do now has implications later. And how we fight for a story now has implications on our children later. And how we become so focused on you getting glory and honor through our life affects how our children will view you later. And so, Father, I just ask that the the people in this room, the the parents in this room, the, the kids in this room, the singles in this room, Everybody in this room will just start to be focused right now, not on a perfect picture of what we thought we were supposed to be, what the world tells us we're supposed to be, what we think we want to be, but that we'll become completely, keenly focused on being a part of a bigger story for your glory. And Father, that's not our cross to bear, but that is the beautiful thing about about being a Christ follower is that you use us in your story. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that your son paid a price for us so that we be in relationship with you. In your holy, precious name we pray. Amen.